The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, your house smells. Don't get mad. Don't get mad. My house smells too. I'm not not indicting you. I'm sure you keep a clean home, but just time means you're going to acquire smells, whether those are cooking smells that get in your paint, your carpet, maybe they're animal smells. Maybe you're a smoker or someone else was. Just living creates smells. I didn't realize that my home had a smell to it until I got my first Eden Pure Thunderstorm, the greatest air purifier I've ever ever owned in my life. This thing, I had it plugged in for two hours. I came back in the room and my air smelled so clean. I now own three of them. I'm not making that up. This thing has absolutely changed me on top of what it's done for my allergies. Go get one. Get two. Be like me and get three. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE. That gets you 10 bucks off and free shipping. EdenPureDeals.com. Promo code JESSE. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Is it Thursday? There is no time anymore. Time and space are all lost, Chris. <laughs> it is weird, right? I mean, I even get to come to the studio and do the show. So I'm not stuck in the house like the wife, like most of you. And still, I asked her last night, I'm like, "Was it? is it Tuesday? 
He said, I'm actually not sure. <laughs> oh, gosh. These are wild times, man. Wild times. All right. What is a legacy? What is it that you leave behind? Is it the totality of your life? Is it the high points of your life? Is it the low point of your life? Let me tell you a little story. December 5th, 1839. America, Ohio. A little child was born. A boy. Born into a working class family. uh, Wealthy by no means. (laughs) And I mean... By no means wealthy. And was taught about toughness at a very, very early age. Father was all about it. Father was a blacksmith. You will be tough. Life is hard. And this boy decided he was going to make something of himself. He was going to be something. He was going to be somebody. Then he worked his way. Through life, used to carry coal around for with his brother. And in case you're not aware, working with coal, work any kind of mining work, working with coal, even if you're one of the old people who used to shovel coal onto steamers, boats, or trains, it is hot, brutal, back-breaking work. This is not a lazy individual from a very early age. And gets into West Point. Gets into freaking West Point to serve his country. Well, he was a bit of a rebel at West Point. There were 34 people in his graduating class. He was number 34. One person later said that it was all right whether he knew his lesson or not. He simply didn't allow it to trouble him. (laughs) Apparently, he had the way of thinking that some of you may have. Not saying it's right, not saying it's wrong. It's probably not ideal as far as your mother would be concerned, but reality of life. They say he had the idea that, look, nobody remembers the people in the middle. If I can't be the head of the class, which I certainly cannot be, I might as well be the bottom of it. And how it worked then and how it works today when it comes to the military academies is this. They're always looking for top-of-the-class guy. And top-of-the-class guy gets the choice cherry assignments where they put the next generation of upcoming leaders who will who will carry America's military future. That's where you want the 4.0 guy, captain of the football team. This is America's warrior. Bottom of the class guy, even though even bottom of your class is pretty impressive if you actually graduate from a military academy. They're very, very, very rigorous. Bottom of the class guy, he guards a radio tower in Alaska. He just does. Now, that's obviously... An exaggeration, but probably not much of one, 
They assume that guy is a dirt ball. They don't want this guy to go anywhere. They don't think he'll go anywhere. Maybe he'll prove us wrong. Just, just put him up by the radio tower, please. And that's what they did with Custer. Just go go hide somewhere. Only the Civil War breaks out. And now we need every man on the battlefield. And Custer turns into a beast. And isn't all this that I'm describing to you, shouldn't it all be Custer's legacy? We'll get to that in a second. So he rides out into the middle of a river. Why does he do this? Because there's a general sitting there. And the general, it was, it, it's actually General Bernard. They're looking around. He's under General Bernard, and he's looking around, and he's looking at this river and this general's hand-wringing. And this is, you'll see this so much in the military. He doesn't know, wow, oh, man, I can't, what should we, should we do here? I'm not sure a way around. And the general actually says, I wish I knew how deep the river was. <laughs> and Custer, because... It's Custer, and that's part of how you finish last in your class, but it's part of how you do other great things, too. Takes off on his horse and rides out into the middle of the river and turns around and says, that's how deep it is, Mr. General. Kind of awesome. Also, probably not going to get you promoted. And it wouldn't get you promoted, except Custer was a beast. Custer was... Bold would be the understatement of the century. He was obviously a cavalry commander. And the guy would, he would lead charges that were bordering on suicidal. And he would lead them. I can't stress that point enough. And if I can take just a brief side note here, that means everything to guys in the military. If you lead from the front, there is nothing worse. And you figure out these people in about five seconds, then your new commander, your new platoon sergeant, whatever it may be, who hides in the rear with the gear when you have to go do dangerous stuff. And you know what? You don't care at all for that guy. However, When you have one who is the first through the door, you would lay down and die for that guy. I can't put into words how strongly that feeling, how strong that feeling is of loyalty to a commander who leads from the front. You will accept, and this sounds crazy, I understand that, you will accept borderline suicidal orders from your commander if he's going to be standing right there beside you. You just will. There's a human psychology to this to where you don't you won't throw yourself into it where someone else is just saying, screw you, go on. If he's there with you, all right, let's go die together, sir. Let's do it. And I won't break down each and every individual battle, but there were times where Custer would set up an ambush and he needed bait. And this bait was going to be in serious, serious peril of not waking up again the next day to bait the rebels into it. 
Custer didn't look at the 18-year-old private and say, go get him. Custer got on his horse and said, I got it. Almost died multiple times. Horse shot out from under him. His men rally and have to pick him up before a rebel guy. In one incident, Custer's horse is shot out from under him and a rebel's about to shoot him. And another one of Custer's guys come up and kill the rebel right before he kills Custer. His guys loved him. The dude was suicidally brave and led from the front. He would jump up in the middle of battle, and this is an exact quote, come on, boys, I'll lead you this this time, and he'll just charge right into the enemy line. Dude was born to fight. Is that his legacy? Hang on. Custer digs his way out from a hard scrabble beginning. West Point, war hero. Finally, the Civil War ends. By the way, did you know that Custer was at the Appomattox Courthouse where Lee signed the surrender to Grant? One of the most famous events in U.S. history, and Custer was there. Didn't know that, did you? Second lieutenant, first lieutenant, captain. Major, the guy was a beast, leaves the army because the Civil War ends, thinks about running for Congress, messes around with a couple things, and finally they're having an Indian problem, and I'm skipping over a lot. They're having an Indian problem out west, having trouble getting things reined in, having trouble learning how to fight these Indians. These Indians won't stand and fight, which let's just, let's take a quick break here for a moment. Indians had to fight that way. Now, they love every big army in the history of mankind, every gigantic, powerful army that has its opponent outmanned and outgunned whines about how the other army won't stand and fight with them. Every army. We've done it. Everybody's done it. The British did it against us in the American Revolution. They won't even stand and fight. Uh, Yeah. I'm not going to commit suicide. Indians were not going to line up like we lined up and charge in when they didn't have the men, the bullets, the food, anything else to replace the ones they lost. Every lost warrior was precious to them. So, of course, they didn't stand and fight. They're going to raid as many things as they can, hit you, and then leave. Indians, with the exception of the story we're about to, to approach, in a very few other times, never really fought in mass. You do enough reading on the Indian Wars and the various fights between the Indians and and us. I mean, they were small. How many times have I talked to you already about ancient battles or even World War II or Napoleon, whatever it may be, and we're talking 10,000. There are 40,000 here lined up against 50,000. You'd never see numbers, even a fraction of that, against the Indians. And as a result, the army was frustrated, especially because an army is, well, an army isn't that 
light on its feet. It's not like a private company. Armies, as the old saying goes, this is not my, my saying, they tend to always be equipped to fight the last war instead of the next war. We saw this World War I. Saw this in World War II. Going to see it in the next one. How many times have we talked about China? I don't, I don't, I'll break this down a little later on in the show, but how we're actually not in any way equipped to go after China militarily. I'll explain in a little while. I, I digress. Either way, they can't get a hold of these daggone Indians. They're raiding supply lines. They're going after trains. They're killing settlers. They're doing these other things. We can't fight them. They won't stand and fight. We need somebody brave. We need somebody unorthodox. Who'd they call? Custer. They formed a little regiment maybe you've heard of before called the 7th Cavalry Regiment. Custer was the lieutenant colonel. Oh, I forgot to mention, he loved his wife so much, he went AWOL just to go hang out with her for a while. And they welcomed him back because he was a beast. Now, we have this area in South Dakota called the Black Hills. They call it the Black Hills because of the way the sun reflects off it at a certain point. I'm not going to go into all that artsy stuff, Chris. We don't have time for that on this show. But this is... If you believe them, a sacred area for the Lakota, for the Sioux. Now, when I say if you believe them, I'm not trying to be insulting. These people all, I mean, it's the condition of mankind. That's why I never demonize the Indians. I never demonize America. It's just history is what it is. People are good and bad. But individuals are both good and bad. I'm mostly bad, but you're probably a good uh, you know, breakup of, of both. Indians were the same. There was a, we don't believe in land ownership. This is our sacred hunting grounds. Oh, shut up. They were killing each other all the time. And if they could, if they could wipe out an entire tribe that was in an area they loved, they would do it in a heartbeat. And so the Sioux, they pass on these things, of course, that every professor repeats breathlessly today of, this was the area where they believed Earth began. The Sioux just got there. They just ran someone else out of the place. Let's dial that down a notch. Either way, the Sioux were an awesome, what is one of my favorite Indian tribes ever. As you can imagine, I'm an Indian tribe fan. I just I find their history fascinating. Well, they'd run some people out of there, and now they kind of ran things in the Black Hills. Them and the Cheyenne. Them and the Cheyenne were partners. And we basically had told them, oh, yeah, you know what? You can have the Black Hills, no problem. And, and then someone discovered gold in the Black Hills. And then we said, you know what? <sighs> oh, look, this is obviously your land, but we're going to just have a little expedition, an army expedition, just to kind of do a geographical study. And if we happen to find some gold there, we'll deal with that as the time comes. Long story short, yeah, we wanted them out of the Black Hills. That town, that wild town, Deadwood, you, maybe you've seen the HBO series, that gold rush town that wasn't an official town. Yeah, it came because of this, because of the gold rush in the Black Hills. And as you may imagine, warrior, warrior-like people like the Sioux and Cheyenne did not take kindly to this. 
all the Indian names you would know, or at least a bunch of them, Sitting Bull, Crazy Horse, they got together and said, no, no, it's time for war. Well, they did one of the things the Indian tribes could never really do and hadn't really done very many times. The Iroquois did it, others did it, but they joined forces, which is what the Indians always should have done to have any prayer of success. Custer wasn't used to anybody joining forces. He was used to fighting a village of 100 warriors and 100 women. Not, I'm not impugning Custer's bravery, but that's what he was used to fighting. You got to try to find him in a village. What you need to do is find an Indian scout who will locate the village for you. Charge in, take them unaware, kill as many people as you can, capture some others. That's how Custer fought Indians. And he had done this repeatedly. And so Custer rides off. And the numbers are in dispute here, which is really weird to me because it's the army. So you would think a relatively modern army, you would have exact numbers. Why don't I know how many people Custer rode with? I don't know. You, you can read 10 different things, and I have on the thing. And the, one person will tell you 500, another will tell you 700, another will tell you 900. Let's call it 600. I, I, is that right? I don't know. And the same with the Indian account, although you can understand why there's you wouldn't have exact numbers. But I'll get to their numbers in a minute. So Custer rides off, and he's hunting for some Indians to go after. Gets word that there's a little Indian settlement, a large one. Custer, Custer again, is told that there's a large one. He is not told how many. If you're George Custer and you've never seen more than one or 200 Indians in a place at a time, large means a couple hundred. Doesn't it? Not trying to just make excuses for the guy, but isn't that what it means? Only there wasn't 100. And there wasn't 200. And it wasn't half women and children. Custer took his 7th Cavalry And he rode down towards this village. And there were about 2,000 armed and angry Sioux and Cheyenne Braves waiting for him. Hang on. Jesse Kelly. They ride down towards this village and they're going to do well what Custer's done before remember it's a large encampment he is not told that there are two to three to four to five thousand again when I say the numbers are all over the place they're all over the place nobody knows there are thousands we know that he's not told there are thousands of experienced Lakota and Cheyenne warriors down there By the way, quick side note, you remember that whole 
conversation we just had about 10 minutes ago about how I, I don't do this, you know, saints and demons thing when it comes to militaries and Indians and America and, and the army and all these other things. You know why? You know that we don't believe in land ownership. Do you know who led Custer down towards that encampment? The Crow Indians. Do you know why the Crow Indians led Custer down to that encampment? Because it was their land and the Sioux just ran them off it. That's, that's, you don't like it. You don't have to like it, but that's the history of the world. It's the strong dominating the weak. We try to avoid that as much as possible, but let's stop being a child. Your anti-American trash college professor didn't tell you the truth. People are people. The Indians were just as wonderful and just as terrible as the Americans in every possible way. We just won. That's just all there is to it. I guess I shouldn't say Americans. They're as American as anybody else as the U.S. Army. Either way, I digress. They ride down, and this is where our story ends. Custer splits his forces, again, as he's done before. He essentially wants one one part of his army to ride through one side of the camp and the other part of his army to ride through the opposite side. He wants to... Have a big old Indian sandwich with them in the middle and his army's the bread. Only there are some studs like Crazy Horse and there are a lot of them. And they beat the living crap out of Custer. The first people who get there are not Custer. He, I believe it was Reno, sets up a skirmish line. And the skirmish line is this, essentially. These guys are all mounted. This is a cavalry unit. They're all mounted. They get off their horses. Every fourth man holds the reins on the other horses. You don't fight on horseback unless you're charging through with a saber. You, If you're setting up a skirmish line, you don't fight on horseback. And they would line up in a line. It's just, look, it's not more complicated than it sounds. And they start firing away. And the Indians are firing back. And there are a lot of them. And there are a lot of them. And... They outflank the soldiers because, again, these are not these are not inexperienced warriors they're fighting. These are the best of the best and the angriest of the angry Indians that are left. And they wipe out or at least cause a retreat of this first group. So Custer starts to charge through, and Custer doesn't get much further either. And he's like, oh, crap. And it ends up with Custer up on essentially a bluff where he had to Retreat to soldiers throwing down their rifles in terror and running the other way. Soldiers shooting their own horses so they can lay down behind the horse as cover as they fight the Indians. The Indians sending rifle fire back. The Indians extremely experienced in this kind of warfare laying down and essentially making their arrows artillery rounds. They would lay down and they would shoot them, not straight up in the air, but at an extreme angle. So arrows would rain down on the soldiers who were, who were fighting. And Custer died. And pretty much all of his men died. And it was kind of a cool part of the story. The, Lakota were not torturers like a lot of the Indian tribes were, especially the Eastern Woodlands tribes. That's a that's something from the movies. 
The Apaches were big on torture. The Comanches were big on torture. That's, you know, New Mexico, Arizona, Texas. The Northeast, big on torture. The Lakota were not. But they were big on mutilating corpses after death. They were big on that, which they always do that as a tradition, as part of a terror thing, but I don't really care what you do to me after I die. So they went around the battlefield and they would slice off scalps and they would slice off your nether regions and do various other things too. And oftentimes it was the women who did it. They would send the women out to do this. And look, angry women. You just watched your husband get shot by a U.S. soldier. She's going to go out and as part of, you know, a little bit of venting session, they would mutilate. Then these soldiers were mutilated. Except for Custer. Custer was not mutilated. Custer had a bullet wound in his chest and one in his temple. And it is said, and you never know how much of these legends are actually true or not, it is said He laid there with a little smirk on his face. Now, that is a very, very brief overview of the fascinating life of George Armstrong Custer. What did you know about Custer before I started talking about him? Obviously, I have a bunch of history freaks in my audience like I am, so I'm sure many knew more or know more than even I just said, but 80, 90% of you, you knew about the Battle of the Little Bighorn. Did you know he was a Civil War legend? Did you know about West Point? Did you know about how much he loved his wife? Did you know about his hard scrabble beginnings? No, you didn't. And why don't you? Because the truth is this. Your legacy can be many things to you. It can be many things to your li- to your loved ones, your wife, husband, kids. It only takes one big mistake, and that's your legacy. In the minds of the population, it only takes one big mistake to wipe out Everything good you've ever done. You're going to hate this. What I have to say next. Here's Donald Trump last night. Talking about Governor Kemp opening up Georgia. Some of the governors have done a fantastic job working with us. I told the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, that I disagree strongly with his decision to open certain facilities which are in violation of the phase one guidelines for the incredible people of Georgia. They're incredible people. I love those people. They are, they're great. They've been strong, resolute. I disagree but strongly at the same time, with the governor of Georgia. I have heard through your emails, you're welcome to email me, jesse at jessekellyshow.com, jesse at jessekellyshow.com. I've heard on social media. I've heard in emails. I've heard so many things from people who love Donald Trump a lot and support him a lot. And let me just go ahead and clarify, I voted for him. I am still, no matter what, going to enthusiastically vote for him again. He's been one of the best presidents of my lifetime conservative judges, 
slapping around the media, a booming economy. This is Donald Trump's economy, too. You can send me all the emails you want how these lockdowns and 30 million unemployed is some deep state leftist plot. No, it's not. Donald Trump has supported and still supports these. And if Donald Trump gets bounced out of office in November with 20 or 30 million unemployed Americans, I don't care about the judges. That's going to be his legacy. Jesse Kelly. Four point four million new unemployment claims. A record twenty six million unemployed people in the United States of America in five weeks. Five weeks. You understand we have never in the history of this country, not Great Depression, not Great Recession, never in the history of the United States of America have we seen economic destruction that fast ever. Nothing even close to it. Nothing even close to it. We didn't reach 10% unemployment in the Great Depression until the second year. Economic destruction like this takes time. Unless, unless you point your finger at the American economy and you say, stop. Then you get it in just five weeks. And this is the least favorite radio segment I've ever had to do. But Donald Trump is going to own this, people. He is. There is no, uh, you don't understand. It's, it's Dr. Fauci. Dr. Fauci is not the president of the United States. Even if your worst emails that you've sent me are true and Dr. Fauci's some deep state undercover Chinese spy leftist, Dr. Fauci's still just an advisor. Donald Trump went along with it. Ah, but this virus, it came from China. It's the Chinese. It did. It came from China. It's Chinese. The Communist Party of China is the reason we have this virus here. Their cover-ups, their lies, no question about it. China didn't tell you to close your barber shop. China didn't point at 75% of our economy and say, stop moving. They didn't. You, you can yell at me all you want. We had to do it. But did we? We don't know that yet. 
We do not know that yet. There is data all over the place that can say anything you want it to say right now. The least certain thing in the world right now is how bad this virus is, what this virus can do, what the conditions are, the best way to go after it. There aren't perfect answers to that. What is certain, 100% certain, is that we have done this to the economy. And, gosh, it hurts to say, Donald Trump has led the charge. Donald Trump is the president. You can, again, you're welcome to yell. That's fine. Look, I'm mad too, so might as well yell at me. Take it out on me. I don't care. It's the governors. that Those idiot governors. Those governors are driving down a road Donald Trump paved for them when he stood up in front of the American people and endorsed lockdowns. They are. Have they taken it too far? Of course they have. But you didn't see that coming? You didn't think a Democrat governor was going to take their power a little bit too far? Of course they are. And this is real human suffering. Somebody, lots of people listening right now are suffering. Don't, just because you might not be. Don't lose sight of that because that's what all this is really about, right? Isn't that why we argue about politics and talk about politics? Do we do that just for funsies? Do we do that just so we have something to talk about? Is that why you do it? Isn't politics in the end and what you believe about politics, isn't it always about what's best for people as a whole? Isn't that what it's supposed to be? Who you want leading people? Who you want setting policy? Politics is about people. It is. Politics is about people. 26 million unemployed. And obviously, as you know, that means the real number is now well north of 30 million. That's probably 35, maybe even higher than that. Because of people who don't qualify for it. Those who still haven't been able to get through. it's 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 well north of 30 million. It is. Million. Million. Look at your bank account right now. Pull up that little smartphone you have. Look at your bank account. Now, I want you to imagine that bank account's at zero. Now, I want you to imagine you have no more money coming in. Now, I want you to imagine you have a mortgage, car payment, insurance payment, You have a million and one different other expenses you have to pay. You have a wife and kids you have to feed. And your job's not there anymore. And the president took it away. You want to talk about politically? We're about to have a real hard conversation about November. Hang on.
setting aside for a brief moment the human suffering element, which I will not set aside permanently because those people decide to deserve to have somebody speaking for them. Let's address the politics of all this. Again, these are hard conversations to have. But you understand we have an election coming in November, right? You understand the Democrat nominee, or I should say the likely nominee, unless they dump him and get someone else, is somebody with a degenerative brain. I don't care if that makes you uncomfortable. I can see with my own eyes that Joe Biden is not well. Everybody can see it. And on top of that, he's going to pick a radical nutball vice president who will very likely have to finish his term. And, well, that's not the worst news. You know what the worst news is? Hang on, I'll tell you. Jesse Kelly Show. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. I can't believe it, man. I I can't believe the devastation I'm seeing in front of me. And I can't believe that we did it. Nobody likes to hear this. This is not a comfortable conversation to have. Ever been too fat? Maybe you're too fat right now. Ever get in a time in your life where you're drinking a little too much? Maybe you're there right now. I've I've been there several times. What's the worst thing to hear when you're in that moment? When someone says, you're drinking too much. Isn't that the worst? Nobody wants to hear that. Oh, gosh, you're right. I'm drinking too much. I got to clean myself up or get some help. Isn't that the best thing for you? Look yourself in the mirror and say, gosh, that's on me. That sucks, doesn't it? There's nothing better, especially when you're going through something crappy or something horrible is happening. There's nothing better than to blame it on someone else or at least blame it on something else. It's not me. Of course, it's not me. I love doing it, too. <laughs> Trust me, I'm not putting this on you. Well, I've... Chris probably screwed something up. No. No, that's that's me. There's nobody to look around and blame. It's you. It's me. China didn't lock a single American in their home. Not one. 
China did not point to a single American barbershop and say closed. China didn't point to a public park and tell mothers they weren't allowed to play with their kids there. They didn't. And now, you want to know what the worst thing is? Politically? Just politically speaking? You know why Donald Trump's the president, right? I mean, there are a million and one reasons, but the actual tangible data why Donald Trump's the president? 50,000 votes. 50,000. That's the number. 50,000 spread across those Rust Belt swing states. That's the reason you don't have President Hillary and you do have President Trump. People forget how razor thin the margins were in those critical states. Razor thin. We all like to lie to ourselves. I've done it too. I've done it plenty of times, especially over the past four years. Oh, man. It's red America now. Those crazy libs. They're never coming back. Woo! These people are nuts, and they're out of power forever. I've done it too. I know you've done it. <laughs> Look at these nutballs. No wonder they're on the outside looking in. I'm glad we got things locked down here. Somebody get me a beer. We're done here. 50,000 votes is nothing. Nothing. The people who would decide the next election. Again, you want to talk about hard truths? Remember, this is not your mommy's show. It's my show. I tell you the hard truths. You won't decide the next election. I will not decide the next election. Elections for president of the United States of America are won by swing voters in swing states. Our next election will be decided by swing voters in Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, Florida, North Carolina, Pennsylvania. It will be. And here's the hard part. This is tough, right? Here it is. These are people who voted for Barack Obama twice and then turned around and voted for Donald Trump. These are not brand new hardcore right wingers. These are people who voted for Barack Obama twice and then voted for Donald Trump. You don't know what swings them. I don't know what swings them because these are people not moored in some political philosophy that you can nail down. You can yell and scream about them all you want, and I do too. Ah, oh, these stupid, uneducated idiots. What are they going to do? Vote for Biden? Buddy, you can call them stupid all they want, and a vote for Biden is very, very stupid. Yeah, that's what they're going to do. Yes. We can mock polls. All we want. Joe Biden's up seven points nationally. Seven. Seven points. Nationally. Joe Biden. You know where else he's up? Joe Biden's up in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Do those states sound familiar? Yeah. Oh. 50,000 total. 
Let me see here. We have, as of today, official numbers are 26 million unemployed. Let's, all right, let's be generous. Let's let's be real generous and say that's only 30 million unemployed because, I mean, there are people reduced hours, individual contractors. All right, 26 million a day. It's, uh, it's the 23rd. Uh, we aren't even planning on endorsing nationally. Clearly, Trump is going to hold this. We're not even planning on trying to open things up until the first. That's another week. Let's be generous and say that's only another 4 million. Okay, so that's 35 million people. Let's put the rosiest picture on this you can possibly put on it, and I'm being so generous with this, you might as well call me Santa Claus. Let's assume that the economy just gets thrown wide open, which it will absolutely not. Various governors are going to do it in various phases. All these governors have already shown how scared they are of it. Let's just assume everybody, uh, May 1st, uh, we're open for business, baby. Everybody back to work. Let's say half of those jobs get right back to work. Another 10 million or so. I'm, I'm being, look, I'm being so generous. It's frightening because it, the numbers aren't going to be anywhere close to this. Don't write this down as a prediction. I'm trying to put rose colored glasses on it. Let's say half of those 30 million go right back to work. Let's say, shoot, let's say another 10 over the next couple months get back to, they got things revved up again. That's still with the most generous of generous estimates. Five million people who can't pay bills, who can't feed their family, and you can yell at me all you want, right or wrong, and most of the time it's wrong, but right or wrong, people look at the top and they assign blame. And when they do that, or when they feel like doing that, Donald Trump is not going to have a leg to stand on and say, hey, I wasn't for these lockdowns. Oh, he's been very vocally for these lockdowns. If you are somebody hurting, unemployed, thinking about not voting for Donald Trump the second time, it will not be difficult to convince yourself it's his fault. I don't like having to say this. I don't. You should see my emails. You can tell me all you want that I should write them all back and tell them they're idiots. I'm not going to do that. I don't do that to you. I won't do that to anybody. My email inbox is full of, I'll never vote for Trump again. I've lost it all. They are blaming. We are in very serious trouble. That's life. George Armstrong Custer can lead all the cavalry charges he wants in the Civil War. All the medals for bravery, all the promotions. You only have to get your whole regiment killed once, and that's your legacy. I don't want anybody 
to be under the impression that I'm thrilled about these things. I am not, as you know, I love to laugh. I love to keep it light. I'll tell you some dumb stories later on. We're going to screw off. I'm not trying to bring you down. The last thing in the world I want is for this guy to be president of the United States in a time of crisis. Listen to this person. This is from yesterday. This is Joe Biden with Al Gore. What's happening? We're not organizing, and we don't organize the world. Who organizes it? Who organizes it? And so there's so much, I think, anyway, look, one, one more question here. Is it too late to aggress the climate change in a meaningful way? What in the world clearly loses track of what he's talking about again and then aggress? Is it too late to aggress climate change? Uh, And let's, let's be honest. This is a leftist dream. I'm staring at a headline right here. Representative Alexandria Ocasio or or Cortez calls for a national work boycott post the coronavirus. She's not going to be alone. And yeah, she's an idiot. We don't rip on her too much because she's kind of hot and we need a lot more of that in Congress. But she's not alone. This is the history of mankind, especially the history of extreme leftism, you know, past 100 years or so is them taking power in situations exactly like this. We want to convince ourselves that it can't happen. People, of course it can happen. How do you think the Russian Revolution happened in 1917 when they tossed out the Tsar and the freaking Bolsheviks took over? How do you think that happened? People were hungry and out of work. When people are hungry and out of work, Nothing else matters. Have you ever been out of work before? Let me just explain. It's pretty much the worst feeling in the world. You know what doesn't matter to you when you can't feed your family or pay your bills? Politics. Do you know what matters to you and the only thing that matters to you when you can't feed your family or pay your bills? feeding your family, and paying your bills. Until those two boxes are checked, nothing else matters. It's just one of those basics for, for you know, human survival. It's, it's essentially locking somebody in a cage and lowering them into a lake and then asking them while they're sitting there at the bottom of the lake with their breath held if they'd like to refinance their home. Uh... That doesn't matter unless I get out of the lake. That is why Donald Trump was cruising to re-election. Understand that. You like the fact that he beats the crap out of the media every day. I love it, too. I think it's wonderful. You like the fact that he actually cares about bringing jobs back to America and has been, up to this point, the greatest jobs president ever. That's what I like. You like the judges. That's what I like. I like that. I like the way he speaks directly to the American people. I like the way he's not ashamed of his voting. I like all these things. 
but we are not the ones who decide the election, you and I. We are not. Do you know what the other people liked? Do you know the reason he was cruising to re-election? The economy. Because those two boxes, paying bills, feeding family, they were checked. And that's what matters to people. And if you're a Rust Belt swing voter, even if you can hate a lot of things about Trump. And a lot of them do. You know, I don't like this. I don't, I don't like his Twitter account. He seems a little vulgar. I don't, I don't like this. I don't like, you, can, you can say all these things. But when you go to the, the, the ballot box in November, if you're paying your bills and feeding your family, let's be honest, it's an easy choice. Well, I'm not, I'm not giving that up for anyone. I don't care how much I hate his Twitter account. Uh, check. I'll go ahead and vote for Trump again. Screw Biden. When you're walking into that voting booth in November, and you're not paying your bills and you're not feeding your family? That decision gets a lot harder, doesn't it? On top of that, all the other things you didn't like, don't they get a lot more important? If you're trying to talk yourself into it, oh gosh, Joe Biden is a freaking moron. I mean, I don't really care about politics that much. Joe Biden's an idiot. I voted for Trump last time, but I mean... I haven't been to work at the plant in three months, and, well, they just told me they're going to foreclose on my house. The wife's thinking about leaving me, and she's already back in with her mother. You know what? Screw Trump and his Twitter account, Biden. Eh. That may sound nonsensical to you, and it is. I, I could tell you all day long I disagree with that. I think that's ridiculous. But that's also reality. That's also reality. That is reality. I told you from the very beginning, you can get mad at me all you want. I told you from the beginning, I'm not one of these Johnny-come-latelys. The second somebody suggested shutting down the economy, I said that is national suicide. That may very well mean the end of Trump's presidency. The damage of shutting down the economy is so far-reaching It's way worse than anything coronavirus could ever be. And that was back when everyone thought coronavirus was going to kill a million people. I'm the one who stood up and, boy, did I take some arrows for this. And I said, even if it did kill a million people, you do not lock down the American economy. You do not stop a $20 trillion economy from moving, ever, for any reason whatsoever. Not for a virus. Not for an invasion. Not for a plague. Not for a nuclear bomb dropping on 10 American cities. You do not stop the United States economy because your economy, it's what makes everything else go. Your economy is your public health. Your economy is your education system. Your economy is your clothes, your food, your health care. Your economy is your police, your fire. Your economy is your home. It's your hospital. It's your restaurants. Those things don't fall out of the sky from good good intentions. That is who you are. It is what makes up your nation. Otherwise, you're just a bunch of cabins in the woods. You don't line up that economy and murder it for no reason. You simply do not. You don't line up that economy and murder it for a huge reason. Even if you're one of these doomsdayers still, which let's be honest, The doomsdayers about the virus are awfully quiet now. 
They do a whole lot of excuse making. Well, I mean, there was a model. I mean, models are wrong all the time. I, I can't. But even if you're still one of the few people who actually believes that, that's what your opinion means. That's what your opinion means now. Because 26 million people aren't working. They're not working. And do you know the percentage of Americans that live paycheck to paycheck? It's enormous. And you have these out-of-touch media pundits doing Skype hits on MSNBC telling the people out of work to shut up and sit down and go away. It's unbelievable. I cannot believe what I've seen. I cannot believe what I've seen. Not just from Trump either. Republicans in general, governors, president. I expect Democrats to not care about jobs. Gosh, this is absurd. Joining me now, one of my favorite people out there. I'm anxious to get her take on a lot of this because I think she's going to agree with me or disagree, I should say, and that's going to be awesome. Erin Elmore, she's an Esquire attorney and Republican (laughs) strategist. What does Esquire mean, Erin? It simply means that I spent three grueling years in law school and passed the bar exam. So (laughs) I am in it. I'm an attorney, but that means nothing. That sucks. Why would you do something like that? My sister did that same thing, did a whole law school thing, and I can't – that makes me sick to my stomach thinking about that much writing. Um, a lot of reading, a lot of writing, and it makes you better at the get-out-of-jail-free card in Monopoly, so there's that. <laughs> All right. Aaron, I think that Donald Trump has to accept some blame. Uh, I'm a Trump fan. Everybody knows it. Voted for him last time. Going to vote for him again. I think publicly undercutting the governor of Georgia last night as the governor is trying to get his economy going again. I think it was a mistake. And I think Donald Trump might be in trouble in November. Why am I wrong? Well, in trouble with whom? (laughs) Because poor Joe Biden, God bless him. I'm from (laughs) Pennsylvania. And and the neighboring state of Pennsylvania is Delaware. So Joe Biden's creeping around here all the time. And I've actually met him a couple of times. Listen, as a guy, he was plenty nice. But at this point, he's like your pappy who, like, is sitting in an armchair yelling at the TV, not making much sense. I mean, what is he in trouble with or who is he in trouble to? There is absolutely no way. Joe Biden is going to beat Donald Trump in November. And if you talk about your issue with Georgia, as you were getting into, I watched the same briefing that you did, and I don't think he came down on Georgia that hard. 
I just like the way that he was calling the places tattoo parlors. I think it's so retro. <laughs> no, I understand. He was like, I like a tattoo parlor. I might go to Georgia and get a tattoo with a tattoo parlor. I understand he didn't blast him that hard. My problem, Aaron, is this. And look, beyond, I'm actually setting aside the human suffering portion at this point in time, purely politically. And no, nobody wants to mention Joe Biden as president, especially during a, a time of crisis. I want four more years of Trump. I worry that maybe the people around him, maybe Trump supporters like us, maybe we're not taking into account the fact that he only won by 50,000 votes in the end. In the end, he won by 50,000 votes, and 50,000 people can easily switch back to voting Democrat if we have 30 million unemployed Americans. That's what I'm worried about. It seems like the virus is getting all the love, and the economy's not getting any. You're not wrong, but Donald Trump is putting a lot of money into the economy with all of these various stimulus packages. And also, you have to realize that um, November is a long way away. I mean, it's still we have some time here to start dissecting this problem and seeing what's going on and getting to the bottom of it. And I think the early polling during the coronavirus crisis showed that many people and most people, I think, in a 60 percent range, we're happy with the performance of President Trump and the job that he was doing. So I think that's a good sign. Why why are all the polls wrong all the time when it comes to Trump? Because, again, I'm trying to figure out a way that I can work this out for him <laughs> on his behalf. Right. And I see all these polls, 7% Biden's up nationally. We know what those were worth last time. It's still Biden's up 7%, not 2 nationally. He's up in Wisconsin. He's up in Pennsylvania. He's up in Michigan. Uh, that makes no sense to me, especially because Biden can't even form complete sentences. But that's where we right. are. Why are these polls wrong again? Why are polls wrong in general now? Um, I do believe it's something called the reverse Bradley effect. But also Republicans don't want to get on the phone on their landline, generally speaking, and talk to someone about their political views. The Democrats are known to be more vociferous and happy to get on the phone and talk about their views and participate in polling. We know what was wrong last time, and there's no doubt in my mind that it is wrong again now. And listen, I lived my whole life in Pennsylvania. I grew up in a very rural community and where my grandparents lived, and there is no way you can call that Joe Biden country. There is absolutely no way. These people are the people that fight our wars and pay our taxes and understand fossil fuels. And Joe Biden has banged his fist and raised his voice about how he, like Hillary Clinton, wants to put these people out of business. It is not a good look, and Pennsylvanians do not want that at all. I agree they don't want it. So what does Trump do going forward now, Aaron? Because this is this is my worry. Like Nobody's under the impression that the virus is going to be gone May 1st. I mean, it's just not. That's not even realistic. No. So people are going to have to start again. I mean, we can't become a third-world nation here. We're going to have to start again while the virus still exists. How do you do that dance? Well, delicately, and I do believe the, the play, initially he came out and sort of said that he was going to make the decision for the country, and then he reined it back in smartly and appropriately and said this is within the state's controls and the governor's. And that's a wonderful, brilliant thing to do because then he removes any culpability from himself. If something bad happens in X state, then it is the fault of said state. Um, and that's sort of what Democrats do oftentimes with the abortion issue. They will say things like it's a state's rights issue, which is a way to not give their opinion and just defer it to the state. I don't think that Donald Trump is not giving an opinion. I think he's making a smart political move and doing what's appropriate by giving these powers to the states, which is their power anyway, 
because then the onus is on them to make the decision that's in the best interest of the people in that state and not on him. Removes culpability, clean hands, boom. I am extremely uneducated and unintelligent, so I need you to explain what the reverse Bradley effect means. I, did, I didn't go to college. Oh, well, um, I so basically, in a nutshell, I don't, like for, without making it too complicated because I'm not that smart either, it's basically how a lot of Republicans were scared to come out in 2015 and 16 and say they were supporting Donald Trump. And it sort of basically made the polling wrong because we had to stay in our houses and be quiet and whisper down the lane to other friends saying, hey, you're one of us. They're one of us. We all support the same thing. We are all Republicans, but we have to be secret. And eventually, you know, it just sort of swings that pendulum the other direction because this polling can't be trusted. And we unfortunately have to live in this sort of silent majority world. Why do we have to live in that silent majority world? What is that? Put a, put a, put a definition on it. Don't. Why? Um, you don't and I don't because of the, the people that live in the world of the silent majority. I'm very outspoken and I live in liberal Philadelphia <laughs> with a, a terrible district attorney who was funded by George Soros, who is like beyond socialist pro-criminal, uh, a, a mayor who is so daft that he came out for Elizabeth Warren like 100 years ago and calls <laughs> Trump a Nazi with a very high Jewish population here. So I'm like amongst the worst Democrat leaders in possibly any city in the country. Having said that, I'm very outspoken. But no. why do people feel like they have to hide? Because of the bullying from the left the cancel culture on the left and the nastiness and the vitriol and the Antifa and all of those things. I had a friend last night that's trying to start a business and she said, I can't tell anyone or collaborate with you and do things with you because you are an outspoken Republican and I will lose business because these people mm. are so loud. And what I say to her and I say to everyone, never apologize to the cancel culture left ever. You know why? If you give them a finger, they want a hand. If you give them a hand, they want an arm. If you give them an arm, they want a leg. And if you give them a leg, they want your whole body and a pound of flesh. They will take and take and take until you are dead. And if you give them that one inch, they will take a mile. So do not kowtow to the left. Stand up bravely and stand strong. But I understand a lot of people that are small business owners don't have that luxury. And that's why people are afraid of the left. That's why there is a silent majority. That's why there is a reverse Bradley effect. And that's why President Trump won in 2016. Really quickly, not that I assume you and your weirdo diet ever partake, but 30 seconds, what makes a good cheesesteak? <laughs> I had a cheesesteak the other day. <laughs> Personally, you have to, okay, the, the way to, to, to knowing a cheesesteak is knowing how to order it. So you have to know, it's like whiz wit. You know, whiz is like cheese whiz, right? Mm -hmm. And wit is with onion. So you have to know how to order it. You need it all chopped up. That's the style. Oh, yeah. And oh, I, like I always say, go extra cheese. Mm. Go bigger, go home. Yes. Aaron. And a Philly cheesesteak is delicious. Erin Elmore, go follow her all over social media. You'll love her stuff. She will be back on this show often. Erin, appreciate you. Thank you for your time. Have a wonderful day. Be good. I'm starving now, Chris. Dang it. I love a good cheesesteak, but people do make mistakes. Hang on, I'll discuss. Is he smarter than everyone? Who knows? Does he think so? Yeah. The Jesse Kelly Show.
I've got this idea that I want to do for one of the history stories, Chris. And it's so dark, I can't decide if I want to do it. And you know how much dark stuff we've done? It's dark, man. But I think I'm going to do it. And I'm thinking about doing it tomorrow. I don't want to give it away what it is. But, I mean, it's ser- I, seriously, it's so heavy. Maybe I should wait till Monday because it's so heavy. I don't want to drag everyone down on a Friday. <laughs> Maybe I'll do it. Who knows? Either way, I've got a dark one. It made me think of it. Uh, something's happening politically, and it actually made me think of it. And it is so dark. It's rough out there. Chris, producer Chris, as many of you know, is not only Jewish. Well, he's like 12 years old. And so as his mentor in life, I try to educate him on things. And he has finally grown up. And all this cheesesteak talk reminded me of an argument Chris and I had, which, yeah, I mean, he's, look, he's finally come around and seen my point of view. And here's the argument. Here in our radio studio, there are a bunch of different studio radio studios in this building. You know, this, this sports station, and hip-hop, and country, and, and there's a million different studios up here. In general, just the way it works, to give you a little, little inside baseball stuff, Chris, people don't know this stuff. Unless you're one of these, unless you're Rush Limbaugh, they're not building you out some gigantic radio studio in your basement. In general, you have to come into a place where radio studios are. And so you're on a a, a big floor of a building, or if maybe it's a single floor building, and you have various little radio studios in there, and one of them's yours. And so you have, like any other office environment, granted, radio people seem to be a lot dirtier, a lot shorter. I don't know what that is. Everyone's very short up here. But... There's a common area like there is in your office. And in our common area, we have a machine. I have actually never seen one that does exactly this, but it's a big water machine. It looks old, and I know what you're thinking. Jesse, we have a water machine in our office. Not Hear me out. It has three settings on it, all by push button. It has a setting for water, a setting for ice, And it has a setting for water and ice that will come out at the same time. I, because, and this is going to tie us right into our cheesesteak talk, Chris. I have never used the water and ice setting because I'm an adult who knows how to think. You know why you don't use the water and ice setting? Because then you were giving up your liberty. You were giving up the freedom of thought, you're giving up your ability to control the water to ice ratio. And don't we all have a specific water to ice ratio we're going for? You do, right? Maybe you're just a few cube person. Maybe you're one of those deranged lunatics who fills it up completely with ice and then pours a little water in there. What, Chris, people are like that. We have to understand, we have to be understanding and accepting of, of the losers out there. There are people like that. Why would I give up my ability to control my water to ice ratio? Chris long ago tried to argue with me and tell me I was an idiot and that it's there for convenience. Guess what I just caught Chris doing at the uh, the water machine in the break? 
Oh, yeah. He no longer uses the water to ice button. And why don't you use the water and ice button, Chris? Yep. Because I was right. As I so often am. No, Chris, you can't hold up your finger. There's no argument against me being right. I was right. Food is all about ratios. It is all about ratios. And you've heard me go off about this before, but Aaron talking about the cheesesteaks made me think of this too because I I see guys make this mistake all the time. A cheesesteak is a glorious thing. I have long thought that a cheesesteak gets a really, really, really bad rap or I shouldn't say bad rap. It gets shortchanged because, look, how big is the cheeseburger? It's enormous. It's, it's the, Now, I'm not talking about the physical size, Chris, you idiot. I'm talking about how big the burger is in general in our society. It's huge. Everybody knows, but it's burgers. There's a burger. You got, you got 10 burger joints on your block. It's huge. The cheesesteak has 120th of the coverage of a burger, and that may be heavy. It just doesn't have the burger coverage. In a cheesesteak, and I'm a burger fan. Keep in mind, I'm a burger fan. Granted, I make the best burgers in the history of the world at home, so I don't order them out all that often. But a cheesesteak is, if not as good, near as good. Would you say cheesesteak's as good, Chris? It's tough to say. Mitchell, cheesesteak as good as a burger? No, no, hold on. Let's be honest. You're starving, you have a perfect cheesesteak in front of you. You actually know it perfect because that throws things off. There's nothing better than a perfect burger. You have a good cheesesteak in front of you, and you have a good burger in front of you. Which one are you grabbing? Look, you're agonizing over it, though. But, but it proves my point. Neither one of these idiots could even answer the question. They're agonizing over it. They are. They don't know. I don't know what I would choose. Look, these are the tough decisions we have to nail down. But people make a mistake when it comes to the... Hang on, I'll explain. Again, it's all about the ratios. Now, in a rare, rare mistake, I did misspeak when I said the scenario is you're starving in the same way that saying you have a perfect burger and a perfect cheesesteak, starving throws everything off. Chris brought up this fact. Chris makes a rare good point that if you're starving, you probably go for the cheesesteak. In general, the cheesesteak is more meat. Probably not in general. That's probably just the fact. The cheesesteak's more food. Cheese takes more. All right, so setting aside starving. We're not starving anymore. I'm doing a little experiment here. You're hungry. You're not starving. Your stomach's rumbling a little. You got to munch on something. It's placed in front of you. The cheesesteak, even if you don't pick the cheesesteak, you're considering it. But again, people make mistakes. The same way they make mistakes with pancakes. Like you see people have pancakes and then a restaurant will be like, well, we have chocolate chip pancakes. 
I don't need chocolate chip pancakes. I don't have a problem with chocolate chips. But when I'm going to add syrup to the chocolate chip pancakes, now it's too sweet. You can have too much sugar. I want peanut butter on my pancakes. Little salt. Little. You've never tried that, Chris? You're such a loser. But peanut butter, oh, it's perfect. It cuts through. Hang on. I'll explain. Jesse Kelly Show. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Chris just discovered the greatness of peanut butter on pancakes, as Mitchell and I explained it to him during the break. Again, the ratios. I don't want chocolate chips on my pancakes. It's too sweet. I'm sweet enough, Chris. It's too sweet. I want a little salt in there. The salt from the peanut butter cuts through. Gives a nice little party in your mouth, Chris. Everybody's coming. You know what I'm talking about. It's party time. What's that What's that guy, Fieri? What's he say? It's flavor, uh, flavor town. <laughs> I love that freaking guy. You know what? Remind me to talk about that in a second. But back to the cheesesteaks. The mistakes dudes make with cheesesteaks is this. And I and everybody knows I'm pro guy. I'm anti-women, Chris. I'm pro dude. But we do make a mistake when it comes to cheesesteak. <laughs> it rhymes. It needs more meat. I hear this all the time. Oh, I can't believe you didn't get that with extra meat. Oh, I like this cheesesteak. It has nine pounds of meat. I need meat. I love meat as much as you love meat. Stop, Chris. I love it. A cheesesteak is not a steak. If I'm eating a steak, then I want pure meat. If I'm eating a cheese steak, I have made a conscious decision that I want something more. I want additional ingredients. A cheese steak is meat. It's cheese. It's onions. It's possibly peppers. It's mayo or mustard or or whatever else you may put on there. It's bread. And it is the proper proportion of all of those things. The steak is important. The steak is not the whole story. It's all those flavors mixing together What is what makes it great. And I will disagree with Aaron on one major thing, though, Chris. And it's hard to explain this. The cheese whiz thing. I don't like cheese whiz on a, on a steak. Have you ever had cheese whiz on a cheese steak? You never have? You never have, Chris? You idiot. Mitchell, have you ever had cheese steak or cheese whiz on a cheese steak? I swear, I can't deal with these two anymore. I try. I try, and I can't deal with it anymore. The traditional way to eat a cheese steak, you morons, is 
Cheese Whiz. It's not cheese. It's not American cheese. It's not white cheddar. It's not provolone. Look at these Texans. I tell you what, these native Texans are so sheltered. A traditional cheesesteak has Cheese Whiz on it. In fact, you can YouTube it right now. Uh, I actually remember Andy Reid did, I think it was in a special on ESPN with it. But you YouTube an actual Philadelphia cheesesteak, because that's what it is. It's a Philly cheesesteak. They have gigantic cans of Cheese Whiz. And you get your cheesesteak, and there's not, you know, like I said, melted cheese on it. They scoop out a big scoop of Cheese Whiz and drip it on there. I can't believe you guys didn't know that. Yeah, that's your traditional cheesesteak. It sucks. It does suck. And it's, I'm not anti-Cheese Whiz. Again, let me explain. I am white trash. I do not apologize for being white trash. Everybody knows I'm uneducated. That's why I don't do research. I don't use big words because I don't know big words. And I eat really, really white trashy foods. When I was a kid, my folks would buy discount fish once the fish went on sale. They would place that fish in a baking dish. They would pour cheese whiz over the top of the fish and throw it in the oven. And that was that's how we would eat fish for dinner. So I'm a Cheese Whiz fan. I'm a Queso fan. I love all forms of cheese, cheese dip. I'm not anti-Cheese Whiz. I will not be painted as anti-Cheese Whiz. It sucks on a cheesesteak. Chris, did you look it up? I'm right, aren't I? I told you. It's, it's They're made with Cheese Whiz, and it's terrible. And the problem is these Philadelphia people are so hostile sometimes about their cheesesteaks. And I've tried to have reasonable conversations about this. But you know what it is? Maybe I just haven't had the real thing yet because I've never stepped foot in the city of Philadelphia. I passed through a couple times, but I've never been down to Pat's or Gino's and had one of their famous cheesesteaks. Which brings me to my ultimate question, Chris. As a cheesesteak freak, which I am, I am now, I think I've dedicated like an hour to the radio show talking about this. Now, I am now going to get one as soon as the show is done. What kind of cheesesteak do I order the first time I go to Philadelphia? To Pat's or Gino's. Meaning, do I get the cheese whiz on it or not? I have had cheese whiz on my cheesesteak multiple times. I didn't just have it once and have a bad batch. I've had it multiple times, and finally I decided I don't care for it. However, you're about to have your first ever Philly cheesesteak from the masters of the Philly cheesesteak. Do you go whiz? See, Chris says you don't mess with the genuine article. And I kind of agree with him. I kind of agree with him. I have this theory about pizza joints. Whenever you're trying a new pizza joint, the worst thing you can do is, I would like your specialty, Big Mike's special. When you order pizza from a brand new pizza joint, one that you're thinking about patronizing regularly, when you're ordering pizza from a new pizza joint, you get a pepperoni pizza, period. Because what it's going to do, it's going to set a mark for you. Because if any pizza joint, no matter what the pizza joint is, I don't want to hear about your Big Joe's Italian meat special. If you can't do a pepperoni pizza well, then I don't care what else you do well. 
Give me the originals. Give me the basics. Prove to me you can crawl before you can walk, Chris. That's a philosophy I live by. Yesterday was Earth Day. If that seems like a strange transition, that's because I don't have any formal radio training, per se. And I just transition from one subject to the next without any thought whatsoever. It works for me. CBS, this is a direct quote. I got this from newsbusters.org. Quote, tonight... We marked the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. There were supposed to be big celebrations around the world, but instead people are celebrating inside and they're celebrating cleaner air and cleaner water. They went on to talk about how wonderful it is that pollution numbers are down, that this is just the greatest thing in the world these lockdowns and it's not like we didn't already know this but socialism in general but definitely the environmentalism portion of socialism and they go hand in hand you'll never convince me otherwise it's not just some miracle it's not some accident that the things environmentalists want are all the things the socialists have ever wanted you think that's an accident well, no, I mean, we're not socialists. We just need to just let the government take over the energy sector. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's not an accident. But is there a more anti-human movement than environmentalism? And it has to be, doesn't it? The very basics of the environmentalism movement is people suck. That's what they believe. People are not the main player on earth. People are a plague on the earth. And if people would just go away, then we can finally have everything we want, which is apparently deer running down the highway or something. I don't know. All right. Was there a different way? There was. Hang on. The Jesse Kelly Show. Subscribe wherever you find podcasts. Chris, I was going to talk more about the economy and I got kind of bummed out and Mitchell started talking about hot dogs and how apparently Baltimore has good ones. Baltimore has potential to be a really, really cool place. I went there before it really went downhill. I mean, Baltimore has been fairly rough for quite a long time, but now Baltimore is just a freaking war zone. From what I understand, you cannot go there. We weren't on uh, like a group vacation last summer. And one of the couples we got to be really, really close with, they're awesome people. They're from Baltimore. And they told some really, really bummer, bummer stories about what's happened there now. It's just trashed. Absolutely, absolutely trashed. But apparently they have good hot dogs, to which I told Mitchell, Tijuana has amazing hot dogs. Now, let me clarify, everybody, I'm trying to keep you safe here. 
Do not go to Tijuana. Do not. You're going to die, probably, if you go there. We were in the Marine Corps, and we had finished uh, our we had finished boot camp. And after boot camp is done, you go to Camp Pendleton. It's it's San Diego area. You go to Camp Pendleton, and you we were there for our uh, school of infantry, and it takes a long time, and you're going to learn how to be an infantryman, which is what I was. Only it's not like boot camp where you're not even allowed to listen to music and you don't have, you know, days off. You know, this is more, they'll give you a Saturday off. They'll give you a Saturday and Sunday off. You, it's Now, granted, the training is physically way worse than boot camp. It's brutal training. But, that, I mean, you have more of a normal life, at least normal as far as the Marine Corps goes. And we're a bunch of young idiots, 18, 19 years old. And so when they turn you loose for the weekend, you want to go enjoy yourself, as young Marines tend to do. And they told us, in no uncertain terms, you will not go to Tijuana. Tijuana is a dangerous place. You will not go there. They even stationed Marines at the entryway back into the United States of America to try to catch people who had gone to Tijuana. So, of course, the very first place I went is Tijuana. Gathered up my boys, and we're like, well, clearly if they don't want us there, it's sweet. <laughs> That's where we're going. <laughs> okay. Do not make these decisions. If you're, I understand we have some young men. You write me emails. You listen to the show. You enjoy it. I like it. Do not follow my example. It is only by God's grace that I am sitting here talking to you. I should be dead a million times over. Of course, one of the first times we go to Tijuana, buddy gets out. Oh, yeah, I went more than once, Chris. Yeah, no, I went more than once. The place was awesome. Anyway, so one of the first times we went to Tijuana, I'll, I'll explain how that happened, by the way. One of the first times we went to Tijuana, we get there. Get out. We're in this public parking lot, and we are in Mexico. And Tijuana is, you know, the it's not the nicest part of Mexico. Everybody knows I'm a Mexico freak. I love Mexico. I think the people are awesome. I love the food. I love the beer. I think it's a really, really cool country. It's a geographically beautiful country. They have beautiful hunting down there. They have good mountains. They have beautiful, like the most gorgeous beaches. And they have some really, really scummy parts. It's just, it's a, it's a, plus, the chicks are hot. Mexican chicks are hot. Are they not hot, Chris? See? I love Mexico. So this is not one of the nicer places, Tijuana. This is not a resort town. This is certainly not the mountains. It's not, it's not nice. You know, you know right when you get out of your car that you were not in a very nice part of town. You're not in a very nice part of Mexico. And it's daylight, perfectly daylight. We get there, and my buddy, we, he's apparently been holding it a while, decides that he has to pee. So he just steps behind a car, unzips, and lets her fly. Cops caught us. Cops catch us. Woo! Tijuana police pull up, and we're like, well, that took long. We're already arrested in Tijuana. That's not good. Now, I should explain I have a good father. Taught me some very practical things about life. And one of the things he taught me is something I'm about to teach you. 
Bribery is a way of life. Not necessarily anything wrong with it in the proper form. I'm not telling you go pay off your city councilman to give you your business a contract here. I'm t- in the proper form, bribery is a way of life. Keep a little, keep a twenty on you. If you're if you're getting up there and you got some income, keep a hundred on you. Keep a fifty on you. Keep cash on you. It will exponentially make your life better. I've told you before about like when I got down here. And the wife and kids were still, they had to finish school up in the Dallas area. And we had moved to Houston. And I moved in. I was getting surround sound in, uh, installed in my living room. And I, of course, went and bought a big TV from Best Buy. And I wanted all this stuff installed. And that's all I had in the house was a bed, a recliner, and a TV and surround sound. <laughs> and I'm getting all this stuff installed. And I made sure the TV was there. With the bracket I bought for it, by the time the guy showed up to install my surround sound. And was it part of the agreement? No. But three guys walked in. And I said, hey, fellas, you guys want to make 20 bucks each? Put that TV and bracket on the wall right here. Do you know how many guys, installation guys, say no to that? The answer is zero. There's nothing wrong with it. I don't think there's anything illegal about it. But... It's an easy 20 for them, and it's crap I don't have to deal with. Keep a 20 on you. Make your life easier. You have a repairman coming to uh, coming to fix your lights, and you're having a problem with your electrical outlet out back. You don't necessarily have to call and say, I'd also like to have him to look at the electrical outlet when he gets. Just wait till he gets there. Fixes your lights. Say, hey, man, I got 20 bucks. Will you take a look at this electrical outlet out back? You'll save money. He makes money. Everybody wins. So, woo, cops pull up. Buddy's taking a pee in the parking lot. And this is Mexico, let's be honest. Now, I would not recommend trying to bribe a police officer in the United States of America. That is generally a very bad idea. By the grace of God, we don't live in a country where that's that common. I mean, it happens, obviously. It's not that common. Mexico, different story. They throw the handcuffs on my buddy. We understand that my buddy is about to be taken to a Mexican jail. Not necessarily the best experience in the world, I'm sure. Just pulled out some money. Had 40 bucks in my pocket. Hey, will you guys let him go? Handed him 20 each? Absolutely. Enjoy your time in Tijuana. Took the handcuffs off and off we went. <laughs> My poor mom. She's listening to this show. and I'm sure she's not under the impression any longer that her baby is an angel. But gosh, what a harsh, harsh reality. <laughs> and moms, God bless them. Moms are. I mean, my wife's the same way. Your, your boys are saints. They're angels. I mean, Jeffrey Dahmer's mom. It was like, why? He's just misunderstood. No, he ate people. He ate. He's he, Wait, he's eating someone right now. But long story short, later on in the evening in Tijuana, we came out and they have these hot dogs that they would wrap in fat and grill them up on a flat top. And I'm serious. They were like 10 or 20 cents. I forget how much they were. The best thing I've ever eaten in my entire life. And I mean, there's something about, I mean, everyone knows fat equals flavor. So do not go to Tijuana. 
You young Marines listening to this, I know you wouldn't even consider it. I'm serious. Don't go to Tijuana, guys. You're going to get hurt down there now. It's way crazier than when I was there. But if you ever find yourself there, get a hot dog. Be careful. Don't get yourself killed. Hang on. We've been focusing a lot recently, as you can probably tell, on the forgotten man of this pandemic, of the economy, trying to give a voice to people who are getting screwed in various ways by this thing. And my next guest is somebody we've had on before. She's always dynamite, and she has an interesting take that I it didn't even occur to me. Didn't even occur to me, and I'm glad she did. Kelsey Bowler, she's a pol- senior policy analyst with the Independent Women's Forum, contributor to the Federalist. Kelsey, who's somebody who's been forgotten during this whole fiasco? Well, hey, Jesse, thanks for having me on to talk about this. So uh, a lot of people don't know this, but a couple NICUs across the country are actually banning parents from visiting their babies. The majority of these babies are born premature. Um, many, many have very uh, serious health complications. And, you know, in a pandemic when you tragically have people dying and loved ones not being able to physically be present and hold their hand, you might um, perhaps try to have some empathy or compassion. Um, you know, everyone has to make sacrifices in this pandemic. So, um, you know, you, you might say, well, that kind of sounds reasonable um, that parents can't be there to uh, physically be present with their premature babies. But it's important to point out that uh, NICU parents and NICU babies are different than regular hospital patients. Uh, NICU babies actually require uh, physical contact. It's called kangaroo care with parents and specifically moms. And what kangaroo care, um, the skin-to-skin contact does is it provides a range of uh, health and medical benefits that are so incredible that uh, they actually help babies survive and thrive in the NICU. Um, This is something that Modern medicine can't replicate the benefits of skin-to-skin contact. Yeah, a, a few examples of, of these medical benefits is stabilizing the baby's heart rate, um, improving uh, their breathing patterns, improving their oxygen saturation levels, um, and enabling them to gain weight faster. Um, and so these hospital policies that are banning parents from physically being present with their babies is like denying them life-saving medical treatment. Um, I want to be clear that it's only a few hospitals across the country that are doing this, but the ones that are, it is very concerning, and um, I can only imagine how overwhelming and painful it would be for NICU parents, the majority of whom are not had no plans to end up in the NICU. They thought they were going in for a normal birth. Something unexpectedly goes wrong, and they find themselves in the NICU. Uh, you are, you know, many of us, I, I went through this myself, you're overwhelmed. Um, you might not know how to advocate for yourselves. So my message um, 
is to anybody who's listening who knows a parent who unexpectedly found themselves in the NICU and is having these restrictions placed on on, on their ability to physically uh, do skin-to-skin contact with their babies, advocate for yourselves. There's a great website called empowerednicuparenting.org that is uh, listing the NICUs that um, are, are putting forth these policies, banning parents. Um, and it's just important to uh, find resources, educate yourselves, and know that, um, you know, if, if your NICU is doing this, perhaps you can have your baby transferred to another NICU that isn't going to... Uh, ban you from physically uh, taking care of your your baby and providing these life-saving benefits. Kelsey, for those of us who are stupid, could you describe (laughs) what a NICU is and how and what your experience was with it? Of course. So maybe I got ahead of myself here, myself here, but uh, the NICU is the neonatal intensive care unit. And this is where uh, babies go when they are born with a complication or born prematurely. So myself, I uh, had a baby uh, last September 12th. Uh, she wasn't due until two months later. Uh, my water unexpectedly broke early. Uh, the doctors tried to put me on bed rest because at that point, uh, my, my daughter was only 30 weeks developed and and of course, that um, is, is very dangerous. Her lungs were not fully developed. Uh, she didn't have much patience. She wanted to make her grand entrance into the world and, and came just over a, a week later. And so she uh, had to stay in the NICU for uh, for one month. And NICUs are just these big open uh, hospital rooms where you have babies only, uh, you know, a couple feet apart. And so they don't have their own individual rooms. And one of the hardest things about being a NICU parent is that you can't stay with your baby overnight. Every night you have to say goodbye. Um, and so that's already hard enough. The NICU is traumatizing in so many ways for parents. And to ban parents from uh, going to visit their babies now because of coronavirus, it doesn't appear to be grounded in in any sort of um, research or science because by the grace of God, uh, babies and children are, um, are are surviving coronavirus, even those who's, who are born from moms who have it themselves. Um, we are very grateful for that. I can only imagine how much more painful this pandemic would be if that were not the case. But there just doesn't seem to be a medical or scientific reason that uh, that parents cannot be present with their NICU babies. Can you explain, we've only got about uh, two minutes left here, can you explain why in the world skin-to-skin contact would be beneficial to a baby? It doesn't make any sense from a medical standpoint, right? But it is. Why? Well, as I said earlier, uh, there's a number of, of medical benefits. So skin to skin, if you think about it this way, babies who come early, they were not prepared to be outside in the cold, open world. Uh, they, they were supposed to be inside the mother's stomach for quite a few more weeks or months. And so when the baby is physically uh, sitting on top of uh, preferably the mother, but really any parent or uh, any, any person for that matter, um, ha- the baby feeling the mother's heartbeat helps to stabilize the baby's heart rate the same way it does when the baby is still in the womb. Uh, having that baby on, on, your, uh, on, your, on your chest 
really forms that connection that the baby was supposed to be uh, still still having when they're in the womb. And, and it's just so incredible that, again, these benefits are not anything that modern medicine or science can replicate. No amount of money uh, can, can afford you the benefits of physically sitting there and being present skin to skin with your premature baby in a NICU. Baby doing okay, Kelsey? <laughs> she is doing great. She is seven months old now. Uh, I share lots of pictures of her online on Instagram and Twitter. You can check her out. But it's, it's just a cra- it's, it's, it's crazy um, the way that they're able to grow and develop from being these tiny four-pound babies in the NICU to normal, healthy, happy, in my case, seven-month-olds. How about that? Congratulations to you. Plug your social media so people can go check out that wonderful kid. It's at Kelsey Bowler, both on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you much. Kelsey, appreciate you. Keep doing what you do. Thank you, Jesse. Those NICU nurses, have you ever talked to a NICU nurse, Chris? They do some amazing stuff. They they really do. These babies, I mean, look, a baby, when you hold your own, it's something. When you hold one that's like a fraction of that size, you feel like – Oh, geez. Like, just breathing on it, I'm going to kill the thing. And we can do some truly, truly incredible medical stuff these days. We can, and it's awesome. The The things we can do to keep a baby alive and end up having a very happy, healthy child, it's awesome, man. It's awesome. And you got to feel for those parents. It, it, it'd be, talk about a bitter pill to swallow to have one of these babies and you know your baby's not I mean your baby's vulnerable anyway it's a freaking baby imagine having one that's extra vulnerable and having people say yeah you're not allowed to see it uh what what all right it's time we address something here kids who owns your kids Who do they belong to? Hang on. The Jesse Kelly Show. You know, we don't talk very much about Iran because Iran's boring to me, Chris, but they are the world's state, the largest state sponsor of terror in the world, (laughs) like by a mile. And they're trying to get nuclear weapons. And they openly state that they want to wipe Israel off the map. Like These are not people who passively want nuclear weapons. (laughs) I mean, we want them. We just don't want to use them. Not Iran. You almost have to praise them for their honesty. Oh, no, we want them so we can blow up all the Jews. Uh, That's pretty much the most evil thing I've ever heard, and they're just open about it. Just open about it. And then we have this headline. This is from Free Beacon. Iran's launch of a of military satellite 
is a cover for nuclear weapons advancement, according to U.S. officials? Wait, what? Uh, I admit that this way of thinking is sick. I admit that it is. But we are living in some insane times right now, man. We are living in insane times. In the future of what's coming, obviously, it's not all going to be good. Not by a long shot. I mean, already as it stands right now, we got, what, 40,000 dead Americans and 30 million unemployed? That is uh, awful. It's not a sunny way to put that. But they are crazy times. And you are, you're going to have some stories to tell. When you're a little, when you're a little old lady, an old dude, you got your grandson on your lap and you feed him a Werther's original. And he says, Grandpa, what was it like during coronavirus? Well, son, we had Netflix. <laughs> no, you're going to have better stories than that. I saw this headline, Chris. I love this. Construction crew hits an underground fiber line, causing an outage if the call before you dig hotline. <laughs> So, listen, you may or may not be aware of this, but as somebody who grew up really doing underground construction work, all around you, all around you, there are lines underneath the ground. Unless you were out in the freaking wilderness, there are lines in the ground. Even in that, you know, public park downtown, it's just trees and grass. Probably underneath there in multiple places. There are various water lines, sewer lines, phone lines. There's just there's there's this network, this vast network underneath your feet at all times of various pipelines going here and there. They're just are. And as you do construction work, it's almost always in some kind of urban area. You know, you don't get asked a whole lot. To throw a sewer line in the middle of a farmer's field, you have to do it in streets and sidewalks. And it is a delicate process. What you do is, yes, you have these call before you dig lines. Every state has them. I, I don't know. I actually don't know whether they're run locally or by the states or whatnot. I know it's not the feds, but you have to call. Okay, so uh, I'm looking at the blueprints here. And keep in mind, lots of times the blueprints aren't right. And the blueprints say... Hmm. There's an existing sewer line here and an existing electrical line here. Hey, make sure you call the the sewer company and they'll send someone out. And what they'll do is they'll spray paint or mark with flags or both the areas on the ground where the sewer line is. So, you know, okay, it's actually marked here. The blueprint said it was here. It's actually a little bit off. It's here. And then you have to call the electrical company and you have to they'll come out and they'll do the same. Even with all the markings in the world and with all the due diligence in the world, you run into two major, major things. One, it's simple human error. It's just, it's not easy. You have a gigantic machine. You have, the machine isn't, it's not your hands. The machine, things can go wrong. You have a gigantic machine and you're trying to dig just a little bit of dirt out beside this sewer line and you, I mean, when you're dealing with a huge, powerful machine, all it takes is a little nick and you're in serious, serious trouble. 
and it can happen through no fault of your own, something wasn't on the blueprints, so you didn't call. And it turns out there's a big water line right there that you didn't know was there. We just had one happen recently where I live here in Houston, where you you open it up. We blew a water main here. It was a construction crew, and I don't know the circumstances behind it. I'm not, I'm not tossing stones at them. And we flooded Houston. I'm almost positive some people died in that flood, didn't they, Chris? If they didn't, it, it was dang near. Like, we had cars underwater. And if you hit a big main, it was one person died? Okay. But it was a big deal. It was a big deal. You can go see pictures of it. It's a big deal. There is there is almost no worse feeling in the world than if you're in charge or you're one of the people on these crews. You don't even have to be in charge. And you hit one of these lines. There's almost no worse feeling in the world than blowing out some business's power or hitting a water line and watching a parking lot full of cars fill up with water. You think you've been embarrassed? You don't know embarrassment. You want to crawl in a hole and die. It's ugly, man. I'm telling you, it is ugly. If you have an incident, and not only that, people will lose power or you blow out a water line and people are coming out and they're yelling at you and they have every right to be mad. I mean, imagine running a small business and all of a sudden you lose power or you're flooding it. It's a huge, it's a gigantic deal. And sometimes they call the news crews out. And a local news crew having a slow day not only are you there, as the area fills with water, somebody comes and sticks a f- camera in your face. <laughs> oh, yes, it's happened to me, Chris. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Not the best feeling in the world. But, look, if you missed any part of the show today, you can find the whole thing on iHeart. It's on Google. It's on Spotify. It's on Apple. If you have anything to say to me, good or bad, I know that was a tough show, you can email me. I will read it. I will read every one of them. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. That's jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Fire away. I love the feedback. It's all good. You take the time to write it, I will do you the honor of reading it. I can't respond to all these, but I will read it. Tomorrow is Friday. We're going to have some fun tomorrow, as we always do. Really, every day, but definitely on Fridays on the show. That's all. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. On the Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of The Jordan Harbinger Show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years, was solely dedicated working undercover. I walk in, I'm in the bar, 
Now there's a barmaid there, good looking young lady. She's serving me drink. Hey, what would you like? I usually my drink was give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink. The guys come in. I'm gonna go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money. Bam! I give her a hundred dollars. If you're with the mob, I say, hey Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down, but you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.